everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bayou Chronicles. We're your hosts. I'm Crystal. And I'm Bethany. And we have officially made it to Spooky Month. It is October. And October is actually a pretty special month for us. This is like the time that we started our podcast last, well, two years ago now. Jeez, that was I Okay, I had, to, I had to double check when I wrote that because I was like, oh, it's been two years like obviously it has but like what i i guess it has um (sighs) that's crazy we are extremely thankful we have accomplished so much in these two years we hopefully have been and we truly hope you know we were a voice for people whose lives may have been silenced and their stories haven't been um kind of told we know we're a small podcast we're not trying to have you know, the biggest show or whatever, biggest podcast. We're just trying to talk about people who don't get to be talked about very often. Yeah. So we have physically sat down with loved ones so that we could get their story out there. We have made friends with other podcasts. We've had people write in to us, which feels like monthly, thanking us for just being compassionate people and creating a safe space for others. At at the time, we didn't know it, but Bayou Chronicles has apparently transformed into so much more than just a podcast for us. It really is a way that Bethany and I have fostered and grown our sisterhood, I guess you mm. call it. Um, so thank you to everyone that has supported and listened. It's truly makes us happy i guess is the best way to say it yeah um it just fills us with joy but anyway today bethany is going to tell us about a case a killer whatever you want to call it that is really creepy and has a pretty unusual calling card no pun intended um i am gonna try really hard not to laugh because the name alone just cracks me up and I want to laugh. So I'm going to try really yeah. hard to be respectful and not laugh, but I'm going to pass it over to Bethany now. Um, and before I get started, I want to try and do a disclaimer because um, I know there are some people that like to listen to like our conspiracy episodes, our folklore episodes, but maybe the true crime weeks that we do are a little much for you. So I just want to put a disclaimer. We are going to be talking about murder, obviously, assault, um, sexual assault, you know, all of that. And, um, I will be talking briefly about prostitution, um, you know, sex work, stuff like that. So if that's not your cup of tea, probably turn this one off. Um, and then just come back next week because next week we'll be talking not true crime-ish. Um, but I just wanted to include that because I know some people do listen up for, you know, maybe not so deep of the topic and I completely understand so there's your disclaimer now that's um, that's all you get okay <laughs> um hey, at but, least you gave one yeah I will because I do know that some people you know don't they listen to us for certain things and that's what we wanted we wanted a variety podcast just because of all the different things that Crystal and I listen to we don't just listen to one genre so just throwing it out there but today we're going to talk about Paul Michael Stefani. 
um, or better known as the Weepy Voiced Killer. I just want to, again, do that disclaimer out there, but now we're going to get into it, okay? How I handle stressful, uncomfortable situations, just like Crystal said, we're the same is humor. So if we make any jokes or we say things, it is totally not disrespectful. Um, it's just like, if you hear nervous laughter from us, it's just, that's what it is. It's nervous and it's like, you're anxious and some people do make jokes about this case. I'm not trying to be that person, but I just want to throw that out there because it is an odd case. It does have some very strange and unusual and just like you almost feel like it's being comical the person the killer and it's not but that's how some people say that so once again throwing out another disclaimer um i don't plan on talking about uh paul heavily just general information you know how we normally start off and then we'll move on to what happened in the victims but Paul Michael Stefani was born September 8th, 1944, um, in Austin, Minnesota. And I love how dates seem to line up. This is this is October, but I was like, he's born in September. How crazy that we're talking, you know, about him around the time that he was born. You guys know how I am with dates. I, I don't know. I'll never change. Um, and that's actually where he grew up. He grew up in Minnesota. He lived there all a lot of this we're going to talk about is Minnesota. Um, I'll briefly men- mention Wisconsin, uh, but it's very brief. Um, and I will say the man experienced some extreme, and when I say extreme, I'm not being dramatic, extreme religious trauma growing up. Um, he was one of 10 children. Let that sink in. Jesus Uh, Christ, poor thing. I really try not to be that person because, like, live your life, have as many kids, you know, as you want. But, like, from his family, I got the vibe, well, they're Catholics. They were extreme Catholics. And if you know Catholics, they don't believe in contraceptives. They don't believe in birth control, condoms, like, anything. Um, So I just got the vibe that, they didn't really want kids. I can't say, you know, I'm not, I'm not in their mind, but it just felt like, you know, intercourse and then nothing's prevented. So So, like, obviously children happen. So like the, his parents didn't really want kids, but like they didn't have any options because they didn't believe in contraceptives. Yeah. Because their religion, you know, it was frowned upon like God would give you a child. That was a blessing. So, you know, and like they weren't, they were a blended family, which was, I also thought was frowned upon in the Catholic church, but I guess they overlooked that, you know, you didn't get divorced. It was like a very big sin (laughs) next to murder, which is crazy to me with the Catholic church. But his dad, um, that basically raised him was a stepfather. So they both had children before and then they had children together. So all together, 10. But I'm just including that because it's not an excuse to go on and commit murder and, like, act a certain way. I'm just including that, and it's just key back information that will be needed for later. But that was just my – that was the vibe I got when I was doing research. And he goes on later after he's arrested to talk about his stepfather, and then 
it kind of seemed like his stepfather, the one that was more religious, you know, like the woman stays at home. The woman takes care of children. If God blesses the woman with a child, she's supposed to have it, you know, that kind of thing. And you go to, uh, what do they call it? Confession weekly. If you've done something bad and you, uh, uh, Sorry, I'm blinking. Repent for your sins, okay? Like, that was what his parents always told him. If you do something bad, you have to ask God for his forgiveness. Like, go speak to the Father and repent for it. So, I'm just including that because you'll see why later. That's just intense, though. Right? That's why why I was, like, from a young age, this was, like, instilled in him. And it was, like, and he said that his stepfather was abusive to him. And he would, like, push them down the stairs and uh anything that was next to him he would pick it up and like just smack them across the head with it dear lord that's horrible but like he didn't repent for that but like if the kids did something bad they had to go to church and repent for it and i'm like but you're literally beating your children why are you not you know i don't know everybody knows how i feel about the catholic church but that's uh, we would be here for hours i just want to include that because you know murder's bad but like Dude went through some stuff as a child, and I feel like everybody has some religious trauma. But today, our story begins on New Year's Eve, 1980. Uh, A couple of friends were out celebrating the holidays, you know, New Year's, and being on break as they were college students at the University of Minnesota. Um, And I want to be crystal clear here. We do not victim shame or judge anyone's lifestyle. That is not me and Crystal, okay? That'll never be us. You are at the wrong podcast, all right? We're not going to kiki and laugh about, uh, she should have done this, you know? No. Um, Because you can always be in the, you can never say never, all right? You can never say you'll never be in this situation. So we don't wear the same shoes. Um, Because what I'm about to tell you, people will hardcore victim blame and i just know it somebody will leave a bad review and be like no she should have done this why are you talking about this um all right um karen potak and i'm so sorry this is how everybody was pronouncing it i felt like it was wrong that's what it looks like okay okay but i just all right so karen potak Potak? yes yes that's how they were pronouncing it but like one of the girls that I, like, I got a lot of my information, and she's linked in the source, and Crystal will put it up because she's amazing. She's British, and that's how she was saying it, but I was like, maybe her accent's making it sound. But Karen Potak had gone to a couple different clubs and bars that night with her sister and friends. Like I said, they were out celebrating. They were on break from school. They were just live, laugh, loving it, you know? And close to midnight, they noticed Karen wasn't with them. They had all been drinking and dancing and having fun. And it was just like, you know, in the heat of moment, you you get lost of like the people you're with. And that's when they notice, oh, hey, Karen's not with us. Where the heck did she go? You know? Um, And she was drunk. They all were. Okay. And the bartender probably should have cut her off. But like I said, we've all been there, okay, people? Um, Had one too many, you know. And Karen was seen later, reported by a couple of eyewitnesses that were outside the bar, leaving the bar without her jacket on. 
it's winter in Minnesota and it's freezing outside, so that is a little odd. But you know how when you drink and your blood pressure goes up? So this wasn't really that weird for me because I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> um, this is why I was like, don't judge. We've all been there, girlfriend. Uh, you know, when you drink, you get hot, you know, or at least I do. My blood pressure goes up, you know, you get a little hot. So you're not worrying about stuff. You don't worry about, that's why people, you know, strip. Uh, we're getting too personal here, but. Um, <laughs> I'm dying. Um, but she was seen leaving the bar with a drink in hand, actually. And she forgot like her purse and her jacket. She was probably like, I just want to get home. I want to eat something greasy and get in bed in my pajamas. Um, and the eyewitness said that she saw a man slowly, and I'm sorry if you hear my kids, they are absolutely wild Tasmanian devil animals today. Um, and we have houses, so like, obviously, um, but they saw a man pull up slowly and offer to drive Karen home. And due to the amount of alcohol she had consumed that night, her red flag, you know, we all have like red flag radars. You're like, mm, I probably shouldn't do that. Well, those weren't working because she was just like, oh, I want to go home. And this nice average looking man, you know, is offering me to take me home. So like, yeah, so she got in and that was actually the last time that she was uh, ever seen alive which is very, very sad. And at 3 a.m. that same night, so like three hours later, because right before midnight, they noticed that she wasn't there, the police would receive a very disturbing um, 911 call, basically. And basically the phone call is Stefani. At the time, I'm just going to I'm, that's we all know who we're here talking about so I just run ahead and said Stefani at the time they don't know it's him obviously but the phone call is Stefani almost seeming to cry to the 911 operator as if he was an innocent bystander at first they just thought it was like somebody that saw the body calling they're like maybe he's just like very upset and in shock and not afraid to like show his emotion and he was describing that he, you know, had driven by and seen a woman hurt on the side of the road next to the railroad tracks because where they were in town, um, a, a, there's railroad tracks that went, like, right through the town. And she was lying, like, right next to them. And he gives an eerily accurate description of where she is, what she looks like, her wounds, and whatnot. And once the operator asks, okay, and what is your name, sir? Um, he hangs up. That's so creepy. Right? Weird. Like, why would you do that? Right. I don't, all right. Like, okay, you just told us what she looks like, her wounds, and where she's at exactly. But, like, you don't want to give your name anyways. Um, so they send, obviously, police officers there. And the best way I can describe his voice is, and you can look all of these up on YouTube and stuff. Okay, so the best way to describe it, and this is how I thought of it, is if you're a parent, or not even a parent, you've just dealt with, like, a younger sibling, and you get on to them for something, like, they've done something wrong, and you're like, you know, don't do that. That sweet, almost whiny voice, like, like high-pitched voice that they use, almost as if he was childlike, I guess, in a sense, like, he was reverting back. He knew he had done something wrong, obviously he attacked a woman, and immediately wanted forgiveness so he didn't get punished. So, like, in his eyes, let me just call 911 and, like, 
get them out here to like find her and then I'm just gonna act like I'm very very sad about it and actually I don't know how I literally do not know how but when they got there and got an ambulance Karen was actually still alive um I it's amazing she had been beaten with a tire she was alive yes yes the first victim is alive and I I seriously, like, it's a miracle because she was beaten so bad with a tire iron to the point that her skull was, like, cracked open. Like, several parts of her skull were, like, literally split in half. Like, just, like, I, it's amazing to me. Like, the force you have to do to, like, crack open somebody's skull and then the fact like, that somebody survives yeah yeah like there's brain swelling there's internal bleeding there's hemorrhaging and then like the fact that her head's like literally open she survived it she was found completely naked like i said laying next to railroad tracks um outside of a manufacturing i don't want to say factory because it wasn't like huge but it was like a manufacturing facility where they made stuff and it had, like, a railroad track right behind it. That's where she was found. Um, and they obviously rushed her to the hospital. She did have, like, multiple surgeries, obviously. And I just said surgery is really weird. Move on. Um, <laughs> and she made it out very critical for, like, several weeks. But she was stable. But, unfortunately, the trauma to her head was so severe she had memory loss. Like, her what? Me- yeah, her memory was – she did not know anything that had happened that night she didn't remember what happened to her she didn't remember being picked up she didn't remember being attacked she didn't even remember like that entire week her memory was like her brain had just obviously it took a beating and she had swelling and they had done surgery on her so like the case obviously went cold because she could not give them anything no evidence was found at the scene um she had been sexually assaulted that's why i put the disclaimer in the beginning but they didn't have anything to compare it to so and the only thing they had remember was that eyewitness that had seen karen be picked up by a middle-aged man but that was literally all they could give all they saw was the car they didn't have a license plate and they saw the back of his head but that was it like they had literally nothing to go on and this dude was just like the luckiest because what are the odds you know so like she remembered like her name and her life she just yeah remember this episode basically basically it's like um short-term memory loss you know like long time long term is like you don't know like long stretches of your life it was just short term like literally the last two weeks she could not remember. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, she didn't remember going out. She didn't remember being picked up. She didn't remember, like, being attacked at all. She literally just woke up in the hospital. That's wow. how severe her brain damage was. And the, just the overall trauma her body went through. And then also all the surgeries and stuff. And it's just, it just like, thank goodness she survived and she, and I was like, isn't it kind of good? In a way, it's bad because she couldn't give them. But, like, thank goodness she doesn't have to relive that every day. I mean, people have told her, and obviously she knows that she was attacked. But thank goodness she doesn't, like, mentally have to see those pictures, you know? That's just how I looked at it. Because I was like, at least that's a little piece that she has. 
because oh my god like having to wake up every morning and remember like you know being beaten and like almost dying and then all those surgeries and I don't know I was just trying to look at it from that perspective at least Karen doesn't have to remember that but then it would have been nice but for five months the case continued to go cold because like I said they literally had nothing the car he drove was like such a generic back in the 80s car um it was like a hatchback or whatever you call them those uh what do you call them it's the car that has like the long the el camino the long trunk not a trunk like it's covered it's not a, oh my God. like a hatchback yeah like a hatchback like a like a i want to say a volkswagen but i don't think this was a volkswagen like it's just like a regular car but it has like a trunk door that opens basically yeah the big trunk door and it's like a really long back end but it's all like covered it's not like oh well the only one that i know that's really long that was sometimes covered was an el camino and that's what i'm Um, thinking it is maybe it was just a car that was like very common and like a common color so like it wasn't something they could like easily track down and that's all they had to go off basically was that it was a middle-aged looking man um in the car that she had been picked up in so five months went by and nothing nothing happened or so they think no new leads until june 3rd 1981 roughly five months later another 911 call came in even though they still don't know who the caller is they are positive it's the same person um, not, a, not right away though. I don't want you to think like this. As soon as the second call came in, they're like, oh my God, it's this weepy voice, dude. He's so creepy. So he's done something again. No, it wasn't like right away. It took a little, they had to actually call in the FBI and the FBI actually put a profile together and they're like, we can't determine that's the same voice, but we're pretty sure it's the same person. So did they like, um, it was the same person because of like the type of call that they had come in? The- the type of call, the fact that he was, like, almost seeming to cry, it wasn't... And then also, not many killers call the police. Very... There's only, like, a handful of killers that I've ever, like, called. Like, I think, like... Um, well, the Zodiac Killer sent uh, notes in to, like, the newspapers and stuff. What's the other guy from California? He called. I think that's how he got called, too. And, like, he had a floppy disk. With stuff at his house that had everything on it. I can't remember. The B- BCK killer or whatever his BTK? name is. BTK? Yes, sorry. I'm so bad with letters. I think he called. I think he called. So there's like very few serial killers that like call the police. So like it wasn't, you know, common. So when it did happen, they're like, this has got to be the same person, you know? And at first they actually thought it was a prank call because I'm not going to recite the exact call because he does use um inappropriate language that we just prefer not to use here on the podcast but basically he was pleading with the 911 dispatcher um that he's hurt another person that this time using an ice pick remember the first time he used a tire iron from his actual car this time it was an ice pick um and he said i can't stop myself from doing it um please stop me please find me and he was yet again like literally crying on the phone it seemed like um and this call is different because it was very rushed like it was literally like 10 seconds it was like very rushed like i'm hurt i hurt somebody again 
um, I used an ice pick. I can't find, will you please find me? I need, I can't stop. It was literally like 10 seconds and he gave no details. They didn't know who it was. They didn't know where it was. They just had this random phone call. So that's why at first they just thought it was like a prank call basically. Um, so they sent patrol cars out because they literally didn't know where to go. And they also didn't want to just like not go look. Cause what, you know, what if it was somebody, so they sent them out, but it was, they didn't know where to go and they didn't find anything. And they just, like I said, at first didn't believe it. But later that same night, a group of teenagers were like, um, they had been like playing soccer. It was like the weekend and it's summer. They had been like playing soccer and they were like walking home, um, it must have been like a far walk. They were like walking by a freeway and they noticed a body laying off to the side of the road in an area where some construction was happening. Um, they were, the way they described it is it was a main highway, like kind of an interstate and they were making or building like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a bypass, you know, where like you go over. Yeah. They were creating it and off to the side where like you go off the road and you go up. Her body was found like right there where the construction work was happening. So like kind of where it would be seen basically. Yeah. Yeah. She was found off to the side and um, it was the body of 18 year old Kimberly Compton. And I personally thought it was devastating that um, these teenagers had to be the ones to find her. Just for the sheer fact that they're kids, they're still babies to me, even though they're teenagers. They were like 15, 16, 17-year-olds um, because they were around the same age as her. She was only 18, so that's like literally basically the same age as them. How – I was just like, man, <laughs> like it had to be kids, right, to find her. I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through that, but like imagine. And Kimberly had actually just graduated from high school um, – a month prior like literally a month prior she had just That's graduated so sad. Like, i know she was just getting ready to like start her yeah this like, was literally life. june 3rd so like she had graduated in may and she was i don't know this murder was just as brutal as karen's assault because that was just attempted murder because we know karen survived and Kimberly had been stabbed over 60 times with an ice pick. It was actually 61. Oh, yeah. my God. 61 times with an ice pick. Um, they believe the attack actually first started with her being strangled with a shoelace. Her shoelace, actually. Um, because one was found on the scene close to her body. And um, she had uh, marks around her neck. Um, you know, like indicating it was in fact she had been strangled with it, which is just like uh, overkill, like strangles body and then stab them sixty one times. That's just horrible. It's like he I don't know. Man. I mean, I hate to say it like this, but it's like he wanted to make sure he got the job done this time. You know what? I didn't think of that, but yeah, because he probably assumed Karen like I mean, like, who survives that, you know? He was probably thinking, oh, she's got to be dead. Like, I literally bashed her head in. That's so awful to say. But that's probably, you know, his mind. That's what he was thinking. Like, there's no way she's alive. And 
it's amazing. Like Karen is such a strong person to survive through that. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just, I didn't think about that. That's a really, that's a really good point. I was just thinking about all the anger that literally had to be built up inside of him because like, why else? Like he was just waiting to release it. And I guess, you know, just like the overkill of stabbing her was just letting it out. I don't know. I just, it just seemed like a lot, like 60 times that. Well, that's, that's a lot of energy you're that's like a lot, as i say that's a lot of energy that yeah. he's expanding and like that takes a long uh, time yeah. and you know he had to have been tired because it takes yeah. a long time and he had already strangled her and like um like it's not easy i mean i've watched documentaries where people like in prison are talking about strangling somebody to death and they say it's like it's not it doesn't happen as fast as people think and like you literally have to put all your force around somebody's neck and he had a shoelace too so it kind of helped so i don't know it was i was just like man that's that's terrifying that there's people walking out there with this much anger and rage and just like evilness inside of them and just like snap on people but kimberly had happened to walk into a diner i say at the wrong time i wasn't gonna say the right time because this is not the one she was at the wrong place at the wrong time and she caught the eye of stefani stefani was at the same diner um eating like a late lunch early dinner it was around that time. And the truly sad part is Kimberly hadn't been in Minnesota a full 24 hours. She was from Wisconsin. This is why I was talking about, I'll briefly talk about Wisconsin. Like I said, she had just graduated high school and she talked with her mom and she just said she wanted to like be an adult. She wanted to move away somewhere. Um, she didn't necessarily know if she wanted to go to school yet, but she wanted to move somewhere and be on her own and find a job and get her own place. And that's why she got a Greyhound uh, ticket and went to um, Minnesota. So I feel that's uh, so sad. I like, know. She literally was just like, this is her first time like out in the world yes. and doing things. Yes. And this is what happens. She was literally fresh off the Greyhound bus. Like she had just got there. She put all of her stuff in a locker and she had noticed that there was a diner across the street. And she was like, I'll put my stuff in the locker because you can like rent a locker, you know, at places like this. Um, because sometimes like if you need to get on another bus, it doesn't happen right away. Like sometimes people have to wait like a day or two days at the Greyhound station. So they rent out lockers for you to put your stuff if you want to like, just like Kimberly, she's like, I'm going to go grab something to eat. And I don't want to take all my bags with me, you know? So she put all her stuff in a locker and she went across the street to the diner and she was literally just grabbing some, some food. And a man sitting a couple booths away seemed to take a real liking to her and kept smiling at her and was like trying to make um, small talk with her. And this is all information that, uh, a waitress at the diner actually gave the FBI and the police uh, later on. And I don't know, like my heart literally, like literally less than 24 hours, like maybe like four or five hours she had been there. And it just, uh, I don't know. The phone call, um, like I said, that he made and he was like, I've attacked another person with an ice pick. They later found out that the phone call was traced to a payphone 
which is amazing that they did this back in 81. It was traced to a phone booth or a payphone. I know we don't like people are like payphone. I haven't heard of those in forever, but it was traced to a payphone um, on the same street as the diner right across from the Greyhound station. That's how close all of this was. Um, so everything was seeming to line up perfectly for the police. They're like, okay, he called from here. It's obviously related. And they started with just a phone call with zero description. And they knew her name now because they went over to the Greyhound station because the waitress, she had talked to the waitress about being there and being from Wisconsin and she did the Greyhound. So they went over and they asked if anybody by this name had rented a locker and they did. And that's when they found her bags and her purse because she had only taken some money. They found her purse with her driver's license and that's how they were able to identify her body. And the waitress was super helpful and gave a full description of the man um, that had been eating at the diner and then had been seen leaving with her. They don't know what the man said to her. They just, the waitress just knows that they left together. Um, and a week later, the police res- received a third phone call from Stefani. He seemed to just chat with the 911 operator, which is really creepy like who just calls my like yeah call and be like hey how are you yeah. i've been killing people what have you been up to it was like as if they n- knew each other because the call starts out as don't talk just listen like what okay i like, i don't know it was as if he calls once a week to repent for his sins you know like I'm feeling some type of way. Let me just call 911 and tell them, like, what I did and how I'm feeling. And the whole just don't talk, just listen, like, okay. Um, remember when I said Stefani grew up with religious trauma would be, like, needed information for later? Um, his voice is totally different this time and when you you can go to youtube or whatever and listen to the difference there is a significant difference in this phone call the first two are like super weepy like uh, very remorseful like oh my god i can't believe i just did that i need to call i need these girls to be found i'm so sorry for what i did and he's literally like crying like a cryy voice you know like kim k you know, cry. Like the, like, kind of almost like a fake cry almost? It's, well, there are some people that don't believe it and they do think it's a fake cry. I don't necessarily think it's fake. I think he really is like, oh my God, I snapped and I'm so sorry. But there's a lot of people when you do research that, like, they just thought it was, like, f- super fake. But this call is different. He, um,. Yeah, my kids are... I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, we, we have lives here. And I'm so sorry. But he was calm almost. It was like he was just talking to a therapist. You know when you're having like a ther- therapy sesh? And you're just like... Somebody's just sitting there and letting you vent to them. And get, it wasn't like he wasn't crying. It was just like eerily calm. Which I think that's more creepy than the crying. Like, someone calls 911 and is talking about murdering somebody, and they're just, like, stone-cold calm. No, I think the crying's weirder. 
I I don't. I 100% think the crime. I get. It is pretty creepy. It is. It is like the first time I heard it's like this sounds like my seven year old that just got in trouble and he's like, Mom, please, please, please let me play Fortnite. I don't. Please let me have my iPad. I'm not trying to make a joke, but that's literally what they sound like. Like, please don't take this away from me. I'm so sorry. I won't do this again. That's how he sounds. But this phone call, he was like, Don't talk. Just listen. I committed those murders because, like, they got some stuff wrong in the newspaper, and he was, like, calling them to correct them. And that's how it sounded. Like, I'm not trying to be funny. That's how the third call sounded. Like, it was... (laughs) He was like, I killed Kimberly Compton. Because they had, like, had, I guess... It's weird. That's what I was saying. Like I'm nervous. I'm laughing at him. I'm making fun of him. I am not making fun of the situation. I am yeah. laughing at him. It's just like, and he was. I don't know. First off, he's heavy breathing. He's like, I'm sorry to laugh. It just. It almost doesn't seem real. Like it lit. I know I've said this before, this sounds like a movie, dude. Like, this doesn't sound like, this stuff like this doesn't happen, you know? Like, it does, but then you're also listening to stuff like this, and you're like, this is totally fake, you know? And that's all this phone call, because he's like, I didn't, I, I, I killed Kimberly Compton. And that's literally how he sounds, and he's like, you can literally hear him. Like, the phone is up to the mouth, you know? I don't know, dude. This call was... <laughs> this is weird. He's, Anyways. He's weird. He's strange. And the phone call basically ends with him saying, like, this has got to be a, a big dream. This is just a dream. I didn't really do that. I didn't hurt these girls. And he was talking about, like, um, he says this over and over again at the very end of the call. I can't go to jail. I cannot go to jail. If I go to jail, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unalive myself. If they start coming for me, I'm just going to unalive myself. Um, he's like, I, I'd rather, I'd rather unalive myself than spend any time in prison or jail. And then that's, um, the end of the call, he just hangs up. And can you imagine the 911 caller, the operator, he's probably like, what the, like, what just happened? What 911? Like, they're not prepared for that. They're prepared for like, I, um, I've just shot somebody. Please come to what, 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 you know, street. I'm really trying not, but like. Imagine you're that 911. It was a guy that took the call. Um, because you can, they like go to say hi, and he's like, Don't talk, just listen. Um, and you're like, Dude, y'all gotta come in here because I just got this call, and you will not believe what this dude just said to me. Um, yeah, I'm just, I was like, oh. That dude was not prepared to get that. I mean, he just was trying to get a paycheck, y'all. He was coming to work, and he, like, had to deal with that dude. Um, but it would be over another year, sadly, before another call would be made. Because they still, they had more to go on. Like, they had description, but, like, they didn't have anything on record, basically, to pinpoint. Um, so it was still cold, unfortunately. But it would be another year before... Another call would be made by the weepy voice killer as they were now calling him. So this is call number four. Call number four. Okay. And like I said, the FBI had come in and like this big, I don't remember his name. I'm so sorry. I forgot to put that in my notes. But like this big FBI profiler apparently came in and was helping them. And he, they're the ones that gave him the, 
weepy voice killer and their profile was pretty spot on they said that he was almost seeming to repent and he was almost childlike and like he may have remorse or he was trying to trick the 911 operators into thinking he had remorse and just like i was reading the profile and it was I mean, this is literally their job, so obviously they're good at it. But it was pretty spot on. Um, but on August 6th, so the, um, Kimberly was killed June 3rd. So this was like a year and two months later. But on August 6th, 1982, a, ni- a 911 operator received the following call. Please don't talk. Just listen. Just like the last phone call. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Okay. And he goes on to say that he's going to unalive himself and he'll never make it to heaven now. And he's like, if you find Baby, some. If you yeah, killed her and right. you're going to kill yourself, <laughs> why are you so worried about going to heaven or not? Like, oh, yeah. Like, we're past uh, that. When we're I, way past that. When I was doing research and I was like looking at YouTube videos and stuff, and like, before I don't, I'm weird. Before I watch a YouTube video, I go to the comment section. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I go straight to the comment section. And it was like, everybody was saying that. And I was like, well, hold up. Let me listen to this YouTube video now because everybody's like, Everybody's like, why is he worried about heaven? Like, heaven is obviously <laughs> way, dude, like, you've killed people. Why are you worried about heaven? Because he was like, I'm never, he's like, in this phone call, he's weepy again. He's not calm. He's weepy again. He's like, I'm never going to get into heaven now. Um, My mom warned me about this. And he was like, if you find somebody in a red shirt, it's me. I've killed myself. And that's um, what the yeah heck? yeah that's 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 the end of the phone call that's it uh, once again they had no description it was basically just him repenting um, and that's how I'm describing it because what else is it he's not turning himself in he's not like going to the police he's literally just calling saying what he did crying and then hanging up you know except for the third phone call he was like letting them know that they got information wrong which like mm-hmm, what <laughs> like. Dude, really? And then the body of 40-year-old Barbara Simmons was found floating in the Minneapolis River because it's in Minneapolis, but it's the Mississippi River if you know your um, geography, I guess. The Mississippi River, you know, how far the Mississippi River goes. But um, they described it as the Minneapolis River because it's literally in Minneapolis. But she had been stabbed over a hundred times. Jesus Christ. That's all that's all way far off than forty. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, because in the phone call he says forty. I I it was I stabbed her forty times. Um it, the number was like a hundred and five, a hundred and six. I don't remember exactly, but it was over a hundred times. That's just like and they he um had tried to dump her and i think something was tied to her but she got caught up in like brush and stuff that was on the um like the banks you know the side of the river the banks Mm -hmm. or whatever there's like normally like bushes and trees and stuff her body thankfully i know this is very morbid but it thankfully got caught and that's how they were able to find her because who knows where her body would have traveled or if it would have sank or like you know, so many different things. 
Um, but thankfully not too far from where he put her, her body just got like caught up in the debris and brush and stuff. Um, I don't mean to say like think, you know, thankfully like in a disrespectful way. It's just like they were able to find her body and then identify her fairly quickly and stuff. So it was a good thing, you know, even though okay, it was yeah. very bad. Um, but Barbara had been seen leaving a local bar with a middle-aged man, um, and the waitress from the bar was actually able to identify Stefani. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so, apparently he had been to this bar, she gave, like, um, she, I don't remember why, but she knew his name, and they had, like, shown some pictures, because they had some suspects, they were kind of keeping an eye out for Stefani, because it was, like, he drove that kind of car, he lived in the area, he had been at all these places that these women had been captured from, and, um, he had, you remember the manufacturing facility uh karen's body was found or she was found i shouldn't say her body she survived i'm sorry yes um stefani had actually worked there in the 70s so that so that's why they had uh a picture of him because they were just like had a hunch to like find out all the people that had worked at this uh factory or what this facility um and they came back and showed a picture to the the waitress at the bar and she's like yeah that's him that's who she left with. So they now knew. I I shouldn't say they knew who it was, but they at least knew who Barbara was was with the last time she was seen alive. That's so, so awesome, though. Yeah, like amazing. Like this really was. I know I like dog on like police department police officers, but this was a case where like the police officers were like on top of it, and they were like just like doing to detective work and working with the fbi from like every angle how smart was it to look up who had worked at this facility like that could have just been a random body dump you know yeah but it wasn't like he actually worked there and like knew that it was um it was actually abandoned now it wasn't like operational anymore so maybe he was thinking that nobody would uh find her but then he ends up calling and saying where she is where she is exactly it's i don't know but I was just like kudos to them for doing that research because it could have just been like so random. But we're all thinking, okay, great. So they arrested him, right? They know his name. They know where he. They know where his apartment is. Um, like this is it, right? This is the end of the story. No, sadly, we'd all be wrong. But the police did begin following Stefani, and on. August 21st, 1982, to be exactly, they were um, staking out, like, outside of his apartment, and he lived um, in downtown Minneapolis, and he left, got in his car, and they were following close behind him, but, and they don't know exactly how, and they don't know if Stefani knew that he was being followed, but the police officers actually lost him in traffic. I don't know how, but, I mean, I wasn't there. None of us was there, and they um, they just didn't know where he was, so um, really sad. But Stefani was actually leaving his apartment to drive down to the red light district 
I hope everyone knows what that means. If you don't, Google it. I'm pretty sure every single person listening to this knows exactly what a red light district is. Well. I would hope. If they don't, I don't know why they're listening. I'm just putting that out there. He was in the red light district. Okay, use your imagination. Um, And this was out of the norm for him. Like, he didn't do this, supposedly. I mean, how do we know? He could have. This is what he was saying. He was like, I just decided to do this that night. Um, Before he had, you know, just searched for women at, like, bars or diners. Like, the profile was saying that he was looking for women of different social classes, different ages, which they all were, and that were in situations where it would be easy for him to get them alone or in his vehicle, you know? So he went down to the red light district. Um, I just air quoted and you guys can't see me. But he picked up 19-year-old Denise Williams. He actually took... Denise back to his apartment. Use your imagination on why he picked Denise up and why they went to his apartment. Okay. We're all adults here. Let's be cool about it. And everything went smoothly. Like what was supposed to happen happened. Um, money was exchanged. And we're just, we're not going to make this weird, y'all. Okay. This is what I was like. We're not judging people. What's this weird is, about it? I do it. Well, I'm. Look. You know those people. Easy. You know those there's very few things in this world that I wouldn't do for money. Well, um, so I'm just saying. Um, I'm just putting that in here because this is some people's profession, and then yes, there's make your money. And make then your money, girl. There's people that get lonely, you know, and seek out people that do this profession, or maybe they just have an itch now, that needs to be scratched. Today they do it on the internet uh, instead yeah, of other yeah, places. So. You know. Um, do your thing, I'm make just, your money. I'm just including that. We don't shame on this podcast, okay? Like, this no, is if anything, we're a little jealous because if you can make your money and you can make a lot of money, shoot, yeah, I'm jealous. She was just young, she had been on her own for a long time and was trying to pay her rent. And that's literally what she says later. She was out there that night trying to afford her rent. So, <clears throat> moving on. Um, it wasn't until Stefani was taking Denise back to the red light district where he had picked her up. Um, she started to notice something was off. Stefani was taking some, some roads that weren't making sense. That was nowhere close to where she was picked up at. Um, and Denise is a very smart, I put girl in my, in my notes, but she was 19. She was a very smart woman. Excuse me. And she had been on her own since she was 13, which kind of broke my heart. Um, that's so young. And that is, that's sad. She was a baby. Yeah. Um, and her interview was a little sad. And it was one of the situations where, like, she was almost had nobody. And she just did what she had to do to um, feed herself and put shelter and she actually it worked out for her she had a really nice apartment um and basically she was just needing enough to pay her rent and feed her belly so she'd been doing that for 13 so she knew she knew the town she knew minneapolis she knew minnesota she knew all the streets she knew you know she had been places so 
she was, you know, just trying to survive. And she had a gut feeling that Stefani wasn't taking her back. Like, they had just gone way out of the way. And the streets were getting darker and darker and more like, um, just like out of town, you know? Like, royal. They were in the uh, royal area of town. And... They were now on a dark back road that was actually a dead end. She saw a dead end sign, like, when they first turned on um, to the road. So she was, like, very observant around her of her surroundings, which is very good of her. Yeah, I've been freaking out at this yeah. point. Yeah, so Stefani pulls off to the side of the road, puts the car in park, and he, like, reaches over into the glove box and pulls out a screwdriver and just starts stabbing Denise in the stomach just repeatedly and repeatedly and as they were driving Denise had been looking at her like she was like I think he's she had she literally said that she was like I think this dude is she was sitting there in the car and she's like I think this dude is taking me out in the middle of nowhere she can murder me she was saying that to herself in her head so she had already she had yeah right like you know she was smart okay so she had already been like looking around the car, like uh, I don't have anything on me personally um, to protect myself with, but like let me look in his car. And on the floorboard, she had seen like a glass bottle. They didn't say exactly, but I'm thinking it was like a glass soda bottle, or maybe it was a beer bottle. I don't know. It could have been. I just know it's a glass bottle that had been rolling around on the floorboard, like under her feet. And she already had in her mind, like, all right, if this dude starts doing something funny, I'm going to pick this bottle up and I'm just going to, like, do what I got to do. And that's literally what she did. She was already two steps ahead. So once he started attacking her, and unfortunately he did stab her in the stomach, um, she picked that glass bottle up and just, like, broke it over his head and then, like, stabbed him with it, with it in the face. Like, slashed him across the face with it. Oh, my God. So, like kudos to denise because she was like if you're attacking me i am not going out without a fight and i literally think that's how everybody like fight or flight y'all if you're in a situation like this know your surroundings and just like be ready to like scratch them get dna under your fingernails like just do whatever you got to do and that's what she was thinking. She's like, I don't know. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. If you're trying to attack me, I'm attacking you. So kudos to Denise. And um, what Stefani, like, he actually is not the smartest dude. Like, none of these ever are. What Stefani thought was a random, abandoned, like, just dead-end back road was actually a neighborhood. <laughs> it was just really, it was just really dark and they had no streetlights. So, like. From where they were, you couldn't see the houses, and none of the houses had, like, their um, porch lights on, I guess. Um, But a man living in a house, like, literally, like, right by the car had, thankfully, like, this just happened to a line, thankfully had his bedroom window open and could literally hear Denise screaming. And this is the very, like, gross part. When he got out of his front door and was close to the car in an interview he said he could actually hear denise being stabbed oh my um, god yeah like he said oh. that he could hear like the screwdriver like hitting one of her ribs like hitting oh. the bone and that's just like i don't know that's dude that would mess crazy. me up yeah that would mess me up too he was like i literally was walking to the car and i could hear her being stabbed i could hear the crunch of her bones and like just i know that's very graphic but like 
he was he was just thinking that he needed to go help whoever. He was also in fight or flight mode. Like he's like, I got to get to this person and help them. So thank goodness he had his be- bedroom window open because who who knows if he would have you know heard. He thought he was asleep, you know. But once the man was over there, he kind of was like pulling on Stefani, and Stefani actually tried to stab this man, um, but he missed, and the man was able to dodge it. And uh, at that point, Denise had got out of the car, and then Stefani got back in his car and drove away. So um, Denise seriously fought like hell. Like, uh, just thank goodness that all of this stuff aligned and. Um, her liver and one of her lungs was actually punctured during the attack. Like I said, like he stabbed her multiple times with this screwdriver. So her liver and her lung. And I am happy to report that Denise survived. She is still alive today, actually, as far as I know from the research I did. Um, She did have to have a but ton of surgery. Like I said, her liver and her lung, one of her lungs was punctured. Um, and she lost a lot of blood and, um, I'm just very happy to report that, um, for one, Karen survived and then two, Denise, um, survived. So I know this is really dark and heavy, but at least, you know, something people survived in this case um and one last and final call is made to 911 this time the weepy voice man calls because he needs medical attention uh yeah you hear my dog um but he reports that he's been attacked and is bleeding from the face like a lot and from the head and the cheek um and the chin area he's just like his whole face is just cut up and bleeding he actually calls from his te- his uh, apartment from his own telephone. Okay. Not, not the brightest. <laughs> I mean, you just attacked a woman and she fought back and now you're calling from your own apartment. And you've also murdered people. And you're calling for an ambulance. Uh, I'm not a killer. But if I was in a situation, I probably would have tried to stop the bleeding myself or like banish it myself. I don't think the first thought would be like, let me call the police that I've already been calling and crying into the phone. Or at least if I was going to like the hospital, I would go to the hospital and say that I was attacked. Not that or like give it someone or give a different name. Like he literally gives them his name. Yeah, no, I would totally show up to the hospital and be like, I just got mugged. Someone just attacked me. And I yeah. came here. Like that's what I would say. I would Yeah, no, he gives them his name, his ad his address, like an ambulance is sent to his address and they pick him up and treat treat him for his wounds. Um but I mean he didn't know that he was already on the police suspect list and um this just really sealed the deal for them because they the man that found or helped Denise cause nine one one obviously gets um her an ambulance and then after her surgeries and all that she says it was like it was Stefani and then they already were watching him so this sealed the deal for them and uh after he gets treated like his wounds are treated they arrest him immediately and take him back for questioning and like at first he straight up denied being involved in any of the murders or assaults or attacks like he's like you're not this is his exact words you're not pinning those on me I have yeah, no involve- I have no involvement in this. And I'm like, really, dude? But anyway. 
Um, during the trial, he actually, I mean, I'm not surprised this happens all the time. He ended up pleading not guilty. And in the end, he was sentenced to 58 years for the murder of Barbara Simmons. Um, he got like 40 years for Barbara's murder and then 18 for the attempted murder of Denise Williams. And I know we talked about Kimberly and we talked about Karen they physically did not have enough evidence to um, try him for Karen's assault and Kimberly's murder. And since I know like this happens a lot and it sucks. I know for their families, it heckin sucks y'all. But they were like, he's already going to be in prison for 58 years for the attack of Denise and the murder of Barbara. Like we got him and he was already like in his 40s. So He'd be, like, 90, 100 by the time. Like, he would die in prison, okay? And I know it sucks, but they were still seeing it as at least he was convicted of, you know, at least two. I know it's still, it's awful for their families. But um, he ended up serving, like, 12 years in prison and then in... 1997 he was diagnosed with skin cancer um so brief little disclaimer if you have any abnormal moles or patches on your skin go have them checked out i actually have some moles on my back that i have to get checked out um every couple of years um he's still a bad person and you know, it's awful, but we are talking about cancer, and I'm just throwing that out there because we do talk about it here on the podcast regularly. Um, so he was diagnosed, and he took this diagnosis because all all 12 years, it was like 12, almost 13 years that he had been in prison. He had continued to claim that he was innocent. I didn't do it. I had nothing. But it was like once he got that um, in the infirmary and they diagnosed him with skin cancer, it was like he immediately, like, wanted the guards to set him up, uh, with the detectives to come clean. And he admitted to everything, literally everything. He sat down with them and he was not weepy. He was, you can listen to his last interview tape. He is completely normal voice, very calm uh almost no remorse like he's just talking about it like he's just chumming it up with some pals and he tells literally every single detail and he actually admits to also in 1982 drowning a school teacher oh yeah so they never knew um a friend she had been roommates with a friend and come home and found her roommate uh drowned in the bathtub and for a little bit they kind of thought suicide they weren't sure they literally had nothing to go off and they ended up finding out when he was confessing that he did commit it because they went into her uh pocketbook that's how she described it her purse you know and found an address book and uh paul's name was actually in it with his phone number that he had at that time. So it kind of confirmed it for them that he was in fact the one 
So um, it really sucks that he had to be diagnosed with cancer to want to be remorseful and just, like, give that to the families. But thank goodness in the end he did. It's not going to help. It's not going to make the family feel any better. But it's just a little bit something. And then a year later in 1998, he actually passed away from cancer. So what was his reasoning for killing this that the teacher? So, um, he never really came out and said why he killed any of them or attacked any of them, but the FBI profiler, this is why I said the FBI, this FBI profiler was amazing. He found out that, um, right before he killed the school teacher, um, he had actually, and I, I never told y'all this because I didn't feel like it was super relevant but he was actually married and had a daughter um during all this but he got divorced and he just uh, absolutely like pretended that he didn't have a, a daughter so he didn't even like do anything with his daughter and the ex-wife just so like a deadbeat dad deadbeat dad and the, i think the ex-wife was just like trying to run away they never said it, and he never said it, but I feel like he was abusive to her, and the ex-wife was just trying to get her and her daughter away, and it worked out because, thankfully, they were safe, and then, like, he just never reached out to, like, talk to the daughter or have anything to do with her, so that's why I didn't really include it, um, but shortly after that, he started dating a woman, but she was from a different country. She was from Syria, and... um. Even though she really liked Paul and they dated for a good bit, it was like a year or two years, her family had already like years and years and years ago arranged a marriage for her. So she had to go back to Syria and marry this man. Because it's, it's just a part of their culture. I get it. I know for us it's a little bit weird, but, you know, we can be respectful. It's part of some people's cultures. So the profiler, profiler really, because he murdered the school teacher like a month after they broke up and she went back to Syria. He literally just thinks that the school teacher was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he wasn't even like thinking of her while he was murdering her. He was thinking of the girlfriend. And okay. was like, t- and that's just what the profile, like, he never came out and said why he killed them. He just says that, like, I mean, he did talk about his stepfather a lot in his interviews and how abusive he was and how they were, like, in the church. And if, if they did anything wrong or committed a sin, I'm air quoting here, they had to go to church and they had to repent. Like, <laughs> like, daily, weekly. Like, it was a thing in their house. Like, they never missed church. They were very heavily Catholic, which, you know, I'm not judging. You know, if you're very religious and you're a part of the Catholic church, that's okay. But can you not see how this can be traumatizing to a child and how this can askew their uh, idea of wrong and right and if they've done something bad? Like, this man literally killed women and attacked women, assault women, and then immediately called 911 and repented to the 911 caller. That's weird. And, like, in one of the phone calls, he literally said, I'll never go to heaven now. So, he all that time, he was still thinking about God and religion and good and bad. And 
obviously it messed him up, you know? And like, he, like, he did mention his stepfather a lot though in that, in that last interview he did about how abusive and like he had watched his stepfather push his siblings down the stairs and, um, that's pun- horrible though. Yeah. Punch them in the face or he would just like pick up whatever was next to him and just like beat them across the head with it. And, um, how his mom would just be like, well, you have to repent for being naughty. You have to repent for <laughs> sinning. And I'm like, your husband is literally beating your children and you're just telling them to go to church and pray for being naughty. <laughs> That's gross. I was trying not to be like preachy about this, but like I just noticed, I know he's a bad guy and he's messed up and he had some really bad mental il- illnesses and probably some severe anger issues. But also like, I don't know, maybe maybe be nice to your children, maybe give them a loving, comforting, non-judgmental home, and maybe they won't grow up to be serial killers. That's all I'm saying. Does that mean that all people won't go on to be serial killers? Like, no, there's still people that are messed up, but I'm like, man. And, like, he kept going back to that during his last interview, and he was, like, in his 50s at this point. So I'm like, obviously this it affected him so bad that, you know, at 50 – 55 years old he's still talking about it you know and that is pretty sad though too yeah like they would ask him about his childhood and like he didn't have any that's what really you know like i'm not trying to feel for this dude but then when they were asking about his childhood he didn't have a single good thing to say about his childhood and that made me really sad because you know we can have bad childhoods and like have different backgrounds and stuff but you know we at least have some good memories he did not mention one good memory about his childhood It was all bad. And I was like, man. Well, I mean, I think that goes, like, I don't think people are born evil. And we had this conversation in in a book club that I'm in at work. Yeah. And they asked, like, that was the question, like, are people born evil? Or, like, is it something you're taught? And I don't, I think people can be born, like, sociopaths or people can be born. Yeah, they don't know how to, like, register emotions and stuff. But that doesn't mean they're going to turn out to be a killer. I think a lot of it has to do with how you're raised. And I think that you you can come from an incredibly loving and, you know, open family. And you're a sociopath and you Mm -hmm. can be a killer. And you could have had the best home life there was, but because your brain is wired the way it is, something eventually happens that triggers that. And it could be your parents loving you too much and you having this great relationship with them. And then one day something happens and the way your brain works, oh, you snap. Yeah, and I can can see that. I can see that. Or you can have a really crappy childhood and a systematic brain and you snap and kill people. So I don't think people are born killers. I just think something happens in everyone's life that makes them a killer. Well, and the FBI profiler did uh, bring up a important uh, part and the detectives as well. Because when they were talking to him and interviewing, like even when they first arrested him and then like 12 years later in the final interviews, he would seem to like be talking to them and then like, just start staring at the wall and, like, be talking, but, like, not be there, you know, like, disassociating. So the FBI profiler was thinking that possibly during these murders he was disassociating and wasn't even, like, physically there until the act was done. And then he would, like, he would see them, and then that's when he would call 911 because he genuinely was remorseful and had taken somebody's life. 
That's interesting. And I can see that point of view, but then I'm also like, what if he was just, you know, a killer, you know? And was disassociated because he didn't want to think about all the bad stuff he he, he did, you know? Hmm. But I did, interesting. I did think that was, I mean, this is their job. They're literally hired to think that way. But I was like, man, I wasn't thinking of that. And that's good that they picked up on because I went back and watched one of the interviews. And he does. He's, like, talking to them. And then he just starts, like, staring at the wall. And you know when you're, like, best way to describe it, like, deer caught in a headlight? You know, yeah. when you're, like, you're talking but your eyes aren't looking at anybody and you're just, like, off. That he yeah. does He does start doing that. He's, like, looking at them. And then he starts looking off to the right at the wall. And he's talking, but he's just, like, not blinking. Like, he is disassociating. I know that from personal experience. I do it, too. Hmm. And I was like, man, you know, possibly that could be. And that could be why he called and was crying. Because, like, he really did feel bad about it. You know, he was remorseful. I mean, he just, like, like we were talking about, snapped. Well, I mean, he could have only felt so bad to do it. Or attempt to do it five times. Yeah, yeah, because I did that too. I was like, yeah, that's true. But then I was like, I would have just turned myself in after that. I'd have been like, no, you need to lock me up. I have some something bad inside of me. <laughs> but not everybody's like that. He, you know, he called nine one one and cried about not wanting to go to jail and wanting to kill himself if he went to jail. So, I mean, oh well. He spent twelve. He's a loser. He spent twelve years in there before he died from cancer. So. He's a loser. But yeah, that is it. That's all I have for you. This was, man, this case was like, um, I don't even know. And you can think TikTok yet again because that is where I found about this case. So, um, yeah, it was wild. I've seen a couple of people talk about it on... That's why I said I was going to be respectful because the not everybody on TikTok that talks about true crime is nice and respectful because a couple of TikToks I saw, they were, like, laughing and, like, just making a bunch of jokes out of it, which I get. And then that's when I was like, well, let me go look up this dude because I've never heard of this case before, like, ever. Or I've never... And now that I've seen it on TikTok, my phone heard me talking about it. Now it's everywhere. It's, like, recommended <laughs> to me on YouTube. I've seen, like, pictures and graphics about it on Twitter, and I'm like, all right, man, I went 28 years never hearing about this, and now I've seen it everywhere. Our phones really do be listening. I know some people hate it, but I like when my phone listens. Right? Because the the other day I was like, I want a new desk when we move. And I was, like, talking to Zach about it. I was like, I want an L shape for, like me to put my podcast stuff on one side and then the other side of it I want just like my regular computer that way if we're streaming I can turn this way and have the podcast stuff behind me or I can turn this way to the desk and just have like my everyday computer yeah and then I went on Amazon and it was like a bunch of l-shaped desks recommended to me and I was like oh thank you phone thank you (laughs) i know like there's like people that i follow and like they're all like don't let yourself be used as data or if an app lets you do stuff who do you think how do you think they're making their money it's from them selling your data and i'm like yeah and no dude sometimes i'll like forget about a link or something and then i'll be like man i wish i could remember where i saw this and then the link pops up i was like look at you phone look at you looking out for me like it literally I don't care. My data's been probably sold and recycled and however much y'all want to do it. But if you're going to send me targeted ads for things that I need. Yeah. Because I'm actually looking for it and I don't know how to look for it. I mean. Thank you. Is it creepy? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) 
it's wild. I mean, it, it's crazy, but I like but it. But it works out for me a lot because I'm yes. very forgetful and stuff. And I'll be like, man, what I should have like tagged that link or I should have saved yes. it. And then like I'll start talking about it and I'll be like, even when you're scrolling on Facebook, it recommends mm-hmm. like stuff like Amazon links and stuff. And I'll be like, like oh, I there can't it is. tell you how many times I've like spent like literally 45 minutes looking at a website looking for something and then you well, mention yeah. it out loud one time and you're like oh there it is yeah and there it is and i'm like yeah. thank you for yeah oh my gosh so i've been excited. waiting yeah i get so excited i'm like thank you yeah so that's what happened when i was researching for this case on it helped me because i actually found a youtube link that i needed that i have balls see <laughs> like, oh, there you go okay um, but yeah, that's all that I have for this. I know this was heavy. Um, I hope my disclaimer in the beginning worked for you guys. Um, or if you hung around and just listened to us. Um, but next week, Crystal will have some non-true crime-ish, I think. I think next week's folklore, isn't it? Um, I don't or... know next week is our either the folklore mystery conspiracy yeah. whatever we want to put in middle episode and i haven't yeah. done anything with it yet because it's been a crazy week but but you'll have something there that's why i yeah, said you guys you have a little break that way it's just not like bam 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 because lately me and crystal have been hitting you guys with some bangers that are just like you need to go watch some you know but everyone like disney afterwards con- but everyone gets the conclusion to lester at the end of this month Yes, which I'm surprised that people can't wait for the first, the second part. I didn't think anybody would listen to the first part because it's literally just a random local case from my hometown. Yes, everyone's but ready for Lester. I've already, I've already started working on it for you guys. I just have so much research to go through, which is amazing because this case is from the freaking 40s. But yeah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> I'm trying to knock it out, but. Okay. We hope you guys have a great week ahead of you. We really do appreciate you guys stopping by every Sunday or whenever you listen to us to hang out with us. Um, I'm sorry. I don't have any fun fact for you guys today. Um. Oh, I do have one. I guess it's not really a fun fact. And I just happened to know it because I Googled it the other day because I was curious. I wanted to know what Lizzo's real name is because we all know Lizzo is not her real name and i didn't and i didn't know and i heckin love me some lizzo um what's her real name melissa i feel like i knew that yeah melissa at least i've heard that before melissa and i was like oh that's i love I can that see it. you I know can see it that's my mom so name. yeah i was like i just happened to be googling it's melissa vivian Ooh, that's pretty and i love vivian um but yeah i was looking it up because she um her last concert she like broke like this history thing that's never been done and she played like this 200 year old yeah. crystal flute yes and Y'all know I've been getting into history because of Crystal. has been making it fun. I hated it in school. Crystal makes it fun, though. So I started researching, and then that's when I was like, what's Lizzo's real name? <laughs> I'm sitting here researching all this, and she's playing all this cool and, like, breaking things and doing all these amazing things for, like, women of color. And I'm like, I feel so rude. I don't know Lizzo's real name. So that's when I went to Google. So there's your fun fact. And also fun fact if you, did, you guys didn't know that she played a 200-year-old Crystal flute.
And to make it even better, it was James Madison's float, who was a huge supporter of slavery. And he is like the person who made up the three-fifths compromise, which basically means a slave is three-fifths of a person. And so whole, whole for her to story. be a black woman playing Laying that flute, at her well she went to where they store it and played it and then she brought it they actually brought it on tour for her to play which i think is amazing and she played it at one of her concerts i i shout out to lizzo we we love lizzo in this house (laughs) i just think it's awesome yeah so there's your little fun fact um i guess i did have one for you guys i was a little sad that i was just gonna like end today's episode and not have but there yeah melissa vivian jefferson her whole there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys. Like I said, have a great rest of your week, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.